and open your Bibles, please, to Isaiah chapter 2. Isaiah chapter 2, as we're still awake, making our way to begin our series on Revelation next week. So if you're wondering what's the connection between our text uh, and new sermon series, it's, uh, uh, it's because this reminds us of why we are studying. It's challenging to engage. Revelation is both prophetic and pastoral, uh, and uh, it helps us understand the big plans of God uh, and then equip the strength and hope that we're talking about. But now Isaiah 2, verse 1, Judah and Jerusalem is the word of God. The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah established, it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established and shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go the law. And the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, and they shall beat their shall judge between the nations, and shall decide disputes for many peoples. Nations shall not lift up sorting plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation, O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. And then join me. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God, we have your word. Uh, how firm a foundation it is. Uh, Father, and glory be to you for this great word. So, Father, we pray uh, that your spirit would show glorified and how this applies to the way we think and the way we live, that indeed you. As the uh, literary classic unfolds, we're told that a mother is very concerned about her three sons that are venturing out into the world. But now the time's come to be aware of that which is out there that may destroy you. And that is particular three little pigs goes out and uh, he gets some straw to build a house. The second pig goes out and gets some six cows. Then predictably, uh, the big bad wolf shows up and what happens? He does his huffing and he's puffing and indeed he, he blows down uh, the houses. Uh, now, hit a sticks, but not the house made out of brick. To be found when the big bad wolf comes around doing his thing. Okay, it's not a trick question, uh, okay? Uh, I assume your answer would be the house made out of bricks, so the way they did. So why do you suppose these first two pigs uh, built their houses the way they did, such, such shoddy houses? Well, what's the point of the story? Wouldn't the version I always heard when I would like to dance, and that one little pig always remembered what he was told? Um, the first two were preoccupied with uh, what they liked to do with other things. Um, with the distractions of the world. And so they forgot about the words of their mother. Uh, they forgot about the dangers of the world. And they forgot that the big bad wolf was about. The one who remembered his mother's words built a, a strong house, a secure house, a structure with a strong foundation. In reality, practice equipped him with his firm foundation it gave him strength for the day. It gave him hope for the future in a world in which big bad wolves are always about. So let's talk about that today. Being equipped with a strong foundation. But our trust is in our Father's Word and is this book. We just sang how firm a foundation you saints of the Lord is raised for your, laid for your faith in His excellent Word. 
So for us as believers, uh, the Word of God equips us so that we're a rock, have a rock, a place to stand in a world where there's a lot of in line uh, going about looking for someone to devour. In fact, we, we do not know, uh, if we do not know God's Word, we stand at risk. What did God tell the prophet Isaiah? My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Uh, we need, so if we're going to be a church that's exalting God and engaging God's world, uh, we disciple wept with the strong foundation of God's Word. We need to equip people to disciple. So where does that come from? How does that hunger satisfy? How can we know God's will? Friends, it all comes back to the book, this book, the Word of God. It's the most significant book in history. And despite the, the value uh, of this book that we have, this book, or they call it outdated, uh, who ridicule uh, or ignore this book, are written in many nations around the world. Possessing a single verse of this book will get you arrested in North Korea. But in our text, Isaiah is looking down the corridor of time to the future. And he paints a picture of the last days, the last days that begin with uh, the ministry of Jesus, when this word will be increasingly recognized as the most significant book of all. It's for people from every tribe be the foundation not just for the Jews, but for the church. Let's go to the text and see. Let's start with the certainty of truth. God has spoken. Verse 1. The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Uh, now, while we do not know exactly how it is God communicated his word to the Old Testament prophets, um, Isaiah tells us he saw the word of God. Uh, what God communicated to him was that real. And the reality is that God has spoken and communicated his word. And this book faithfully represents that word to us means we should hold a very basic conviction. This is no ordinary book. This is the very Word of God. As we saw, Moses told the people in his farewell address, it's, it's your very life. Antiques Roadshow is PBS's most popular program. Premise is sort of simple. Uh, antique experts will offer a free appraisal of antiques and collectibles that people uh, have sitting around in their living rooms or their attics, garages, basements, wherever. It's sometimes to their great delight and sometimes to their great disappointment. In one episode, an elderly man uh, from Tucson, Arizona, uh, brought in an old blanket uh, that he inherited several years before. Now, the man knew it probably possessed some value uh, when it came to his possession, but he just put it over the back of the rocking chair in his bedroom uh, until the day Antiques Roadshow came to town. And the expert appraiser that looked at it, he, he said his heart stopped. Because it was a Navajo chief's blanket that had been woven back in the 1840s. It was in great condition. One of the oldest intact Navajo weaves to survive into the 21st century. Um, and certainly uh, one of only a, a tiny handful that were now outside of museums. Because it was rare and rather significant, the appraiser said it valued somewhere between 350000 and a half a million dollars. Uh, wish I had that blanket. But anyway, uh, as the man walked out, that blanket that he had just sort of casually carried in, uh, he now handled very carefully with both hands, and he had security guards on both sides of him, 
and he drove straight to a bank and deposited it into a, put it in a, a safety deposit box. What had been great junk to him, uh, something just to sit around the house, now became something of a treasure, a great value. My friends, sometimes people look at, at this and all they see is a book, all right? But once God opens our eyes and we realize we have a tremendous treasure here, and it's the written Word of God. And when we realize that, that changes everything for us, how we look at everything. Uh, it puts into context God and, and His world and, and us. We have a corrective perspective of all three and equips us with a firm foundation to live our lives on. You say, well, why is that so important? Well, Teresa of Avila back in the 16th century said this, We shall never learn to know ourselves except by endeavoring to know God. For beholding His greatness, we realize our own littleness. His purity shows us our foulness. And by meditating upon His humility, we find how very far we are from being humble. Friends, it's in coming to know the greatness and the glory and the holiness of God through His Word that we get a view of ourselves that causes us to repent and seek to know more about God so that we hunger for His Word. James Kennedy called his radio program, remember, Truths That Transform, because that's what God's truth does. It changes us. It shapes us. It forms us. It molds us. That's why Paul told Timothy, all Scripture is breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This is what drives us to discipleship. Uh, the God of the universe has made himself known in his word. He's made himself, made us know how we should view him. How should we look at the world? How we should live in his world. And it's the ultimate owner's manual. It's the most comprehensive word map, roadmap possible. It's better than Waze. All right. Better than Google Maps. Better than MapQuest. We'll want to live it out. We'll want to share it with others. Why is that important? What's the superiority of God and His truth? Verse 2, It shall come to the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills. Keep in mind that in our uh, postmodern pluralistic world, we hold to a very unpopular proposition that there is such a thing as absolute truth. I've said it before, it's, it's easy to prove. What's two plus two? Four. You are good. Okay. It's always four. It's four no matter where you live in the world. It matters what not which century you live in. It doesn't matter if you're counting treasure at the bottom of the ocean of the Titanic or you're doing an inventory on the International Space Station. Two plus two is four. Uh, and to say something silly like, well, that two plus two equals four stuff, that's your truth. I've got my own. It's just nonsensical. But that's where we are today. Some deny that four is the only answer. Others try to say it doesn't matter what the answer is. To which I say it does if you're building a bridge. I'm just going to leave it at that, okay? Um, The world is in rebellion against the truth of God because it's in rebellion against God. That's where it's rooted. 
If you're not sure about that rebellion, you're not reading what's happening on the television show Jeopardy, or you're not following women's collegiate swimming. I'll just tell you that. We live in a world where people claim it's legitimate to hold multiple truths. But the fact is, there can only be one true answer to a question like 2 plus 2. And there can only be one true God if that one true God says there's just one God, that He's the only God. Sadly, the world has this idea that a a Lutheran pastor, Ben Squires, calls, climb every mountain, uh, and then pick and choose whatever so-called truths uh, that you want to incorporate into your world and life view. You see, the mountains are where the so-called gods always dwell, and they're almost always unapproachable. The Greek gods were on top of Mount Olympus, and nobody dared to climb up Mount Olympus in that day. In fact, over the world, there are traditions of God's dwelling in the tops of the mountains. You got the Incas in Peru, then the Greeks and the Romans. It's in Indonesia, it's in Japan and Korea, Tibet, China. The gods are always on top of the remote mountains. But even though the world says that all mountains are the same, that all religions lead to the same place, that there's truth in all religions, God says that truth about eternal life is found only in one place. This book, and as the church, we are the mountain of God in the last day where that truth is found. Do we really believe the truth of God is absolute? You know, studies show that Americans generally embrace their own faith while respecting, and sometimes even practicing, aspects of other religions. One study found that many religions, maybe most, can be perceived as having an exclusivity clause. We're right, and therefore everybody else is wrong. But many Americans do not apparently invoke the exclusivity clause. While Americans may have firm religious commitments, they're unwilling to impose them on other people. Maybe they think it's a kind of attitude that works very well on a practical level in societies diverse religiously as the United States. But friends, it does not work if we're going to be obedient to the Great Commission and engage God's world. I'm not suggesting persecution of people who do not believe as we do. We are to be tolerant in the true sense of the word and loving towards those who believe differently than we do. But I'm suggesting we cannot decide that they are eternally secure when they believe these other things. Tragically, more than half of so-called evangelicals Uh, say that many religions can lead to eternal life, despite the central Bible truth that Jesus is the only way to eternity with God. We do say that. Why do we say that? Because Jesus said it. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Sociologist Michael Lindsay makes the observation, the issue with religion in America uh, is not that Americans don't believe in anything, It's that they believe in everything. Religion is 3,000 miles wide and three inches deep. So do we believe this is God's exclusive, absolute truth? Or do we believe we can climb any other mountains? Friends, there's a difference. We know that our God's not remote. Rather, God got personal with us in Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, God's glory came down to dwell in the temple on, Mount, uh, on, the, on the Temple Mount in Israel. The temple was on Mount Zion. 
hardly the tallest mountain in the Middle East, let alone the world. But then Jesus himself came. And on that same mountain range, Jesus, who made God known to us, gave his life. That's the beginning of the last days that Isaiah is now looking to, when Mount Zion will stand above all the other mountains on the earth, because it's the mountain of the true and the living God, who's come to dwell with us in the person of Jesus Christ, who's both God and human. That mountain rises in significance, not because of geography, but because of Jesus. So what's that picture look like for us? The Psalm 2 reality is God and His truth and His Son triumph in history. So in a world where many people are searching for truth and they're climbing the mountain of Mormonism uh, or Islam or Scientology or Buddhism or, or Hinduism or Oprah, uh, and, and they keep coming up empty, one mountain ultimately will triumph over all the others. That's the mountain of Yahweh, the mountain of the Lord. We have the hope uh, that grasps that reality. And we have responsibility to be equipped to proclaim that hope. I say to young people, you're going to be told you need to look around and choose your own truth. But I suggest that you heed the word of Isaiah, who says all nations will ultimately discover that this is the truth. The bottom line then is in our pluralistic world, Christianity is not compatible with any other religion. All other religions tell people what to do in order to gain favor with God or the gods or with their peers, uh, but not the Christian faith. Christianity is different. It's what God's done for us. It's what we said last week. It's about a God who serves his people, uh, and he serves them to the maximum, and that's death on the cross. That's the message that we're to engage the world with. It's the truth we're committed to equipping our children and youth with. Maybe you all remember, several years, it's been several years now, one of Metro Atlanta's fast-growing mega-churches put on its website that they were no longer going to bore children with the same old Bible stories. Um, and I said at the time, and I say today, we tell God's stories to God's children, and we tell them over and over and over again because they're true. And we want them to know about God and His salvation and His will for their lives. Yeah, I was glad when the church took that off their website, which they finally did. But that segues to the next point, and that's the attraction of God's truth. And all the nations shall flow to it, and many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that they may teach us his ways, and they may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. We live in a world where people are wandering aimlessly uh, and they're hungry for truth. Truth that will lead us to the meaning and purpose of life. And see, only what they're hungry for is, is the cross. They're hungry for all that Jesus did for us there. The trouble is they just do not know it. Uh, as Augustine writes, You've made us for Yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. We live in a very restless world. So today predicts that the day will come when nations will flow to God's truth. That day has come, and it is coming. That flow started on the day of Pentecost, and it will continue until Jesus comes again. 
as the church, as Mount Zion. We are the proclaimers of the truth that's God's word. Now, if you've ever put your feet in a cool mountain stream, you know it always runs down the mountain. But notice what it says here. So many are coming that it's like water flowing uphill. Think of it, a river flowing up a mountain. Have you ever seen such a thing? Uh, friends, I don't encourage us to obey the Great Commission because we realize people will respond to the proclamation of the gospel uh, and the word. It should encourage our missionaries. Uh, knowing people will respond and be drawn to God propels us to go out with the gospel. Not simply waiting for people to come to us, but going out and engaging them with where, right where they are. Uh, and so what lies by the invitation here? That's just when, when the power of God uh, affects the people of God, such that they serve as role models, who are equipped by embodying and living God's truth for the world to see, then people are attracted. Not attracted to us. They're attracted to the truth that guides the way we live. Uh, for example, in these uncertain pandemic times, if people see our faith and our confidence in God, they see our peace and our joy, uh, they'll be drawn to the quiet hope, the quiet joy that we have. Joy and hope rooted in the cross. We have an attractive gospel that draws people uh, because we have the cross. And yes, to some it's foolish. But the old rugged cross where Jesus suffered and died is the means by which God deals with our sin and our rebellion and makes us His children. The cross not only draws people to Jesus, but creates us a desire for our sanctification, a desire to turn from our sin and become more like Jesus. Reading, studying, memorizing God's Word grows uh, in our, our hearts for the gospel so that we'll want to apply that Word of God. Folks, on God's Word keeps us God-centered, not human-centered in the way we approach living. So this passage assures us that God will make sure His Word goes out. And we want to be a part of what God's doing in this community, in this world. The fourth thing we want to see is the application of God's truth, verse 4. He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Just quickly say, this verse applies King Jesus' reign in history and the clear application of the Word of God that brings peace. The point is that God's Word, God's Son, triumph in history. And that's the only thing that will bring peace, ultimately. The only hope for the end of human hostility between nations is divine intervention. And it happens when Jesus comes again. Brings us to our final point. That's our resolution to walk in God's truth. Verse 5, O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the word of the Lord. Uh, everything we talked about today doesn't matter unless we as God's people have the resolve to live uh, uh, and know God's word. And if we don't, we're doomed. We'll never make an impact on this world. But given the assurance that God's word is what triumphs, uh, we can engage God's world right now when we're equipped to walk in God's truth ourselves. 
and we proclaim God's truth. Friends, we need to be encouraged by the persecuted church. Men and women and young people and children who have resolved to live by the light of God's word and an oppressive darkness, no matter what the consequences are. We've got to have that same hunger. We've got to have that same desire they have, what they're willing to risk their lives for. So what about us? In Cremona, Italy, uh, where um, a lot of experts believe history's best violins uh, were made, there's an amazing collection of old violins. For over 30 years, a man named Andrea uh, Moscone, he had the task of keeping those violins in shape. So six days a week, every morning, he went to the museum where the 300-year-old violins uh, were kept and displayed. And before the museum opened, Moscone would play each one of them for six or seven minutes. Uh, He would do some basic scales, work his way up, a little Bach, a little Tchaikovsky, that sort of thing. And over the course of an hour, he played three violins by the Amatis, uh, two by the Guarneris, and uh, four instruments by Stradivari, uh, three violins and a a cello. Now, why did he do that? Well, a violin needs to be played to perform its best level. Here's what a German violin maker, uh, Carl Roy, says. The wood gets tired. It's the same as with human beings. If you just sit and rest in your comfortable chair, when you get up after a while, you will feel tired. That's true. And unless we are are fed and exercised with the Word of God, we'll get tired like this would and will not be equipped as instruments God will use for His glory uh, in the great orchestra of the church. We must be equipped to exalt God and engage in his world. So some practical one. Uh, there's reading plans out in the narthex, but start it's January. Memorize scripture. Do the, do the same thing there with, with a partner. And if that sounds a little bit like discipleship, well, it's the first step towards that. If you're interested in discipleship, uh, you need to, if you're a young person, talk to Travis or Sarah. Uh, if you're a woman, talk to, to Vicki Turk. If you're a man, talk to, to Dee or Ben or me. And parents, we need to teach this book at home. We also need to be willing to teach this book here on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights to our children. To paraphrase John Piper, we want our our children equipped to know how to observe, understand, evaluate, appropriate, and express the Word of God. And with this beginning of the series on Revelation, I heard you read it. Start reading it. Read every week. Listen to it. Ask the Spirit of God to help you understand Russian author Fyodor Dostoevsky said, We have never truly breathed air nor seen light until we breathe in the God-inspired Bible and see the world in the Bible's light. So learn the lesson today of the three little pigs. There's one out there to destroy you. And it's not a wolf, but it's Satan himself. We need to be like the third pig and remember... Remember that God's given us his word, equipping us with a firm foundation to stand on and a guide to engaging his world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have given us your word. So, Father, help us not to waver in our understanding that this is truth. This is absolute truth. True truth. This is the word of God. So, Father, as the word, Father, shape our lives with this word, we pray. 
May we read it, study it, memorize it, talk about it. Uh, Father, may your spirit drive it home to our hearts and minds that we live this book out. Father, we pray for anybody today that doesn't have the desire uh, to, to read this word because they don't know you. Father, show them your love at the cross that we talked about. Father, draw them to Jesus Christ as Savior this day, we pray. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.